Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, I'm challenging us. Let's have a serious intro. If you're listening to this and you're not actually on the newsletter, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and we'll let you know every single time we release a new episode and every time we create some new resources or Easter eggs, we'll let you know. So, now no, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I tried so hard. We can't. And do you know why? Grant, what? we've got to tell people. We've got another podcast. Ah! So for, ah, for people that don't know, we got so many complaints about how much we talk about property on this show that we decided to start a whole new podcast just talking about property. Now, of course, we're still going to sprinkle in some property goodness on this show. Sprinkle salt, it in. Salt-based style. Absolutely. But if you are more interested in going deep into property investing conversations, then come over and check out property and investing, not to be confused with business and investing at all. And Grant, put a link somewhere with this. We'll throw a link in. All right, let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. Do you know what, Grant? We got two podcasts. Well, with that, yes, definitely. <laughs> but did you know this is the first time we've ever done a book review episode? Hang on, this is a book review episode? <laughs> okay. All right. I can totally adapt to this. <laughs> yes, we haven't. No, we've never done it. And do you know what? I think this book is the one to absolutely be our first. So today on this podcast, we're going to be opening up a discussion on a book that we've both recently read. And I will say found very impactful, Die With Zero. By Bill Perkins. So I'll set this one up as we go into it. It's a ve- First off, actually, no, I won't. Very good title. Oh, dude, it's great. T- you know, when I read the title, what it reminded me of was um, what's Steve McKnight's book, The uh, 350 Properties in like three years or something like that. And I'm like, the title, I'm like, this is such a clickbaity title. <laughs> like, Four-hour work week. Is what came to, came to mind for me. I'm like, wow, they nailed the title on this. I wonder if it was the same publisher. Yeah, to- totally. Especially when you get into the content, you're like, that's not always Die With Zero. But yes, great title. All right, so I'll round this concept up, and I think it's really interesting. Bill Perkins, the author, discusses the idea that if you were to die with a heap of money in your bank account but have lived very few experiences, that that is a waste of a life. And that the outcome you should be seeking is to finish your life with no money, die with zero, but to have had a life full of amazing experiences and a life well lived. And um, it's a really heavy concept. Now, I will disclose straight out of the gate here that he doesn't actually encourage dying with zero in the bank account. It is a clickbait book title. He very much discusses the idea of passing on inheritance to kids or charities or whatever you want to do with it, but that doesn't stop the topic having weight. Doesn't stop the topic having weight. Now, Grant, have I missed anything in the concepting of that? The concept and the idea, I think you've captured very well. The nuances is what we'll get through later. Well, I'll, I'll poke the bear right away as the wealth builders we are. Can you see that many people do accumulate wealth and get consumed with the never-ending idea of more and more and more and then never actually live a life? Yes, because I went to my parents' house over Christmas and they're like, we can never move houses because we've got too much stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, you need to read this book. <laughs> they were just, they did, the concept of more just went, let's apply it. And so, yes, it got innately drummed into the back of my head of more, more wealth, more things. Completely. And I know plenty of people that uh, go on this journey to financial independence. So as I've mentioned in other uh, episodes, is like I, I'm quite a fan of the fire movement, the financial, the people who do that. Yep. But they really struggle to spend their money. They get to a point where they've accumulated a level of wealth where they can be financially free, but they just keep working and never spend it. They yep. just actually live out being frugal for the rest of their lives. And it's a real discussion thread and a real challenge for many people, although you would find that interesting if you are someone that is not yet at that point. Yeah. 
I do like the fire movement. So where I think this book gets really interesting is the application to business owners. Right. So do you feel that they could do a that Bill could do a second book, which is like die with zero for business owners? I feel I could write it. <laughs> yeah, like it was like the barefoot investor, but yes. For Again, business for business owners. owners. A business owner version would have been great with these. Totally. Well, this is the whole reason this podcast exists, Grant, is because okay. there's so much mainstream content out there that like is agreeable to business owners. We love the concept, but then the nuances and discussion around how it's applicable for business owners, it is completely missed. Yeah, they're not the same. Not even close. We are a different species. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Lead into it. Lead in. Yeah, so when it comes to this book in the concept of Bill, what I found really interesting is that business owners are actually the ones who have the greatest ability to take advantage of what he's suggesting. And in that way, it's like if you're an employee, let's pretend you work at a, one of the big four accounting firms and you're an accountant. Let's pick on them today. Oh, poor guys. I just don't think that you can suddenly go to your boss and say, you know what, I'm working four days a week uh, because I want to start having these fulfilling experiences in my life. Like that's not very applicable but to a, a business owner for someone to start saying, do you know what, I'm going to make a change to how many hours I work or the things I do to enhance experience, that's very applicable. Totally. Like we can make those choices. Yeah, because I would even argue that the whole concept of doing what we want to do and starting to step into this, well, hey, like we get to make these choices, was started because we became a business owner. Because everyone had the it drilled into us when we were in primary school, high school, and potentially even university of go get a job, Charlie. <laughs> this is how you get security. And business owners are the ones that buck the trend. And they're like, no, I will take the insecurity and I will punch down that road, which means that we're probably the ones that would be more susceptible to supporting these types of concepts of working a four-day week or working a couple of hours a day for seven days a week or all those kinds of ideas because we're naturally the ones that buck the trend. Well, there's a whole category of businesses defined by this. You've got the digital nomads and the, what do they call it, lifestyle business owners who by very intention want to have better experiences for their life overworking such a grind, which I think is really interesting. And then the layer on top of that is earning power. Like some of the experiences that I know you and I want to uh, have in our life are not attainable to someone who makes $80,000 a year on a salary and – Potential. Well, maybe an accountant at the big four might make more than that. But the point being is that in general, once again, business owners have a significant edge here, like a huge significant edge to take advantage of the concepts. Yeah, agreed. So what did you actually like about this book, Grant? Let's start there. Wait, did you like it? Should we start with the number? Actually, do you know what? We're going to the number. No, 7.5. Ah, no. (laughs) I'm going to start here then. So Die With Zero with Bill Perkins. Number one, give it a score out of 10. You can't use a seven or a decimal point. And then number two, would you actually recommend this as a book to business owners to read? All right. Good questions. Uh, So scoring, I'll preface this by saying anything that gives me three different thought processes or three different ways to think or concepts is a win for me. And so on that basis, it did. I'm going to give it an eight. I don't think it was. I don't think it was extremely beneficial for business owners directly, but I think that the questions that it makes you ask yourself, most business owners have not asked themselves. And would I recommend this for business owners? Yes, because I think that these are the greatest questions, especially business owners that listen to what we talk about, Charlie, which is all about the idea of like financial independence using the business as a mechanism in order to achieve that. Uh, yeah, this is one of those books that will actually help you understand. Well, what am I going for? what's the end game I'm trying to approach, but also make you think about ideas you've never thought of. And so eight and a yes. Oh, good score. I'm going to go Very good score. 10 and a yes. Oh, you never give anything a 10. That's how serious I'm taking this. The only other book I've ever given a 10 is The Roadless Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Keith. Yeah, which I think is a phenomenal book. Actually, I would give Debt Millionaire with George Antone a 10 as well. I, re- I really would. I love that book. Um, and I'll explain why. I'll give it more context because I think it does deserve it. If you listen to this podcast, you're already thinking about wealth building in a serious way. And like all things I find is one problem unlocks the next. So when you're in a job, you think the solution is going from your job to your business. But then when you start a startup, a startup has its own challenges. But then once you solve them, you get to play the game of like, well, how do I grow this thing? 
And then mm. stability becomes a challenge. Like one problem continually unlocks the next. So for me and the stage of life I am, I am someone who is financially independent. And these experiences are something that I'm looking to unlock here. Like I didn't become financially independent so I can just like, you know, have the title. Like there's actual outcomes I want to be able to create and things I want to do from it. So a, a big part of my why in becoming financially independent was so that when Jack came into this world is I would be able to enjoy that experience with him. I didn't want to be a dad that was continually having to grind it out to put food on the table. I also didn't want Bianca, my partner, to have to work so that she could actually have the option to raise our son if she chose. Now, if she wanted to work, that's cool, but I wanted to have that option. It was a huge driver and I had this massive why behind it and I've been very fortunate to achieve that. But that's kind of happened and I'm in this zone now where it's like I do have means and opportunities to live lifestyles um, of choosing and I've I've struggled with that to a degree. Like I've, yep. I've looked at that and gone, well, I love this wealth building game. Maybe I should just buy more property. Or should I, you know, do you know what? Instead of buying a property, let's buy a caravan and go around Australia. You know, like there's, there's all these opportunities that exist when you come into it and I think this book does an excellent job of describing many of the thinking and, to your point, thought-provoking questions that have had me assess that really differently. And mm. I look at that now and go, I kind of wish I read this a few years before getting to here because it would have been very helpful in like forward planning. So in the same concept, bringing this back to a business owner is going, well, if you were working in a job and trying to make the transition to business owner, don't you think it makes some sense to read some books on like what it's like to run a business? Yes. Yeah. So like, I, you know, to that point, I didn't do enough research on what it's like to be financially independent and the challenges and things that would come from that because there are challenges. It's not like you get to this point and suddenly life doesn't have problems. I love the Robert Kiyosaki quote he has all the time. He's like, he's like rich people got problems, poor people got problems. Which problems do you want? <laughs> <laughs> totally. But I think it's funny. Uh, every time I look at some books like this, it's because they go off like the common denominator. And the reason that you're not finding books around, well, this is what you do after you become financially independent is because it's not the common denominator. If I was an author, I'm like, do I want to try and sell books to 10 million people or 100? <laughs> and it's like, 10 million people sounds great. Let's go and sell it to them as opposed to the few sort of Charlies and Jimmy Grants and all these people. I'm like, there's not as many of them. The it really writers. isn't. Do you know, we should yeah. try and get Bill on the podcast and see if he'll uh, allow me to co-write a business owner edition with him. It's funny because when I was evaluating my score, it would have been a nine or a 10 if it was direct to business owners because there's different questions that I think you should be asking if you're a business owner, like the sleep at night factor that we always talk about that is not too much of a commonplace here. Like he almost says that like, everyone can earn money. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's employee mentality, not business owner mentality. <laughs> I'm like, that final two would come from the business owner edition. Well, let's let's dig into some points here. Was there any like things you really liked within this point or points you feel are worth talking about or discussing on this podcast? Yeah, so there's there are actually quite a lot of points that I've taken out of a book, um, which is why I rated it so yeah, highly. So. Sidebar, this is the biggest prep sheet I've ever seen. So <laughs> and, clearly. And that was a filtered down list. <laughs> um, so three of the biggest thought-provoking points that that I thoroughly enjoyed was uh, the very first one was uh, I like the idea of generational wealth, right? So I've always gone, great, I will purchase properties. I buy properties in trusts so that then I can give that on to my soon-to-be children. or whenever Not financial advice. Definitely not financial, not financial advice. advice. I Whoo, shit, son. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> I do this. This is what I do. Potentially do for someone, a trust is a great way to pass on things and a tax-effective of things. Not I financial think. advice. You should not trust us on trusts. Trust people who know what they're doing. Continue trust, on. Trust on other people. Shit, man, you got to give stock tips on this episode as well. I was going like, to say, I'm like, have you seen my point number two? I'm like, I read this on the back of a toilet door. Uh, and so like this whole idea of generational wealth and I kind of just looked at it going, cool, when I kick the bucket, they'll take it. But during that time, I will have enough money to be able to give them the things and opportunities and stuff that I kind of had growing up, but I just want to give them more, whether it's overseas travel, whether it's good schools, whatever it is, this bucket of money will just help me do those things and that will be my unlocker. Bill goes on to talk about the concept of like, well, so many people wait until they kick the bucket or pass on in order for them to hand over these assets 
when in actual fact, the idea of maybe you could give those assets or part of those assets to children before you kick the bucket so that you can see them enjoy this. It can actually unlock them. And one of the sort of finite points that I thoroughly enjoyed from the book was where he went and did a survey. And it wasn't a very big survey. I think it was like 3,000, 3,500 people around like, what is the greatest time in your life where cash would have helped unlock blockages that you had, right? And the the age at which people responded was between like this sweet spot of like 26 and 35 years old. When you're like looking to buy your first house, when you're moving out of university, starting to sort of solidify your career or for us as business owners, probably your business has started making money and doing all these things that inheritance or a portion of an inheritance would actually help unlock something as opposed to you struggling. And that was just a really good thought-provoking concept that I'm like, I never thought of that, of going, being here is something and I can see you utilize that in order for you to unlock that stage of life, which is usually quite challenging for people, and I get to be part of that and see that. And that was just this interesting concept for me where I'm like, maybe that is something that I want to apply and actually unlock it as opposed to just me sort of giving out the cash and sort of seeing it. I just go, cool, like here's a transfer of an asset. Let's see how that helps you. I'll go even further. I'm doing this. I've changed to saying, well, I don't have a kid yet. So I'm so cautious about saying what things I've changed before I have a kid. <laughs> but the concept is what I want to apply. Sorry, guys. We just had a technical difficulty there. We're going to jump back in right on this point. Uh, to a degree, Grant, I completely, this was one of the points in the book that I'm just taking and applying. Um, when you look at it, the idea of how valuable cash is when you're in that 26 to 35 range versus later in life is just huge, right? And it's really well articulated in the book. And I'll give you an example to go further here is that it's very likely I, we will receive some inheritance from Bianca's parents down the road except they're quite young and healthy and I expect we'll live for a long time. Um, so I don't expect to get that. And I actually, you know, fingers crossed, I hope they do live a long time. I'm not wishing them an early pass. But do you know when the money would have been hugely valuable to us? Like five, ten years ago. When we are trying to get our first house, when I was trying to get a business off the ground. Totally. Like all these things of life set up is when that money would have been so much significantly more helpful so when I looked at that point in the book, I'm like, I, I look at this in Jack and go, well, I don't want him to finish his education with any debt at all because I feel like that's going to be a hamstring on whatever he goes into from there. He's going to need uh, potentially help getting a business off the ground or a home. And when those things come up, the springboard or leapfrogging he'll be able to do that I would almost go to say in today's dollars, a couple of hundred thousand dollars when you're 26 to get a house versus a million dollars when you're 50 in like same relative terms, the value of that money is just so different. Vastly different. Yeah. And you've just gone through this. I've just gone through this. How difficult is it actually to navigate the starting a business, getting your first house, getting all the finances together where it's like, it, it's a very limiting structure when you have this, such a finite amount of money at that point in your life. It totally. really is. I think it's also mentally challenging as well because you've got this idea of like you've just started earning money. You've got this scarcity mindset of going, oh, I've just got to, I got to slug it out, do like 12, 14 hour days, punch forwards just to make sure I can earn it. Imagine removing that as a, as a belief set, which is like, no, I, I, I'm gonna, I've set up, let's push forwards. There's a huge abundance in this world. Let's push forwards, which I would argue it took me five years to get through that. <laughs> like I had huge scarcity of going, oh my gosh, like grind, 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 make money as opposed to just having been set up and then just going, okay, I still want to push hard. Let's progress forward. Well, that opens up a whole another can of worms of like how do you make sure your kids are still <sighs> like driven and hungry and skilled, right? Totally. And I'm sure someone's listening to this going, you just spoiled your kid. You just absolutely took all the drive and ambition out of them. And that is the other side of this conversation I do not know how to cross yet. So if anyone has a book recommendation on how to fire your kids up without fucking them up, that'd be great. <laughs> I would appreciate that in a huge way. Just, just one of them. I, um, actually, I will say the time-triggered trust idea I still think is a really good one. So in today's dollars, it's like the idea of like you've got to make a million dollars before you're 30, Jack, and then you get the trust. Otherwise, it evaporates. It's like really I, I, light of fire. I, you could totally put – some of those things like life experiences, which is what it talks about in the book quite a bit. It's like, well, you have to travel and you have to have done these things and then you get triggered off like a house. Some sort of bucket list. <laughs> you have to do this bucket list and then you get the place. Um, 
The second thing that I, I thoroughly liked was this question, this one question. So it's not a big point I'm going to make. It was like, what do you really want in life? Like, what, imagine that days and weekends weren't things. Like weeks didn't exist. Weekends didn't exist. It just, things just were. What would you really want to do right I'm, now? I, I'm doing it. And I, ad- I adopted this many, or I actually got that from Naval Ravikant like quite Naval's a few years ago. So as a business owner, this was one of the things that really highlighted me is like we don't have nine to five or a schedule to go to. So you can create exactly what you want and it doesn't need to be the concept of weekends or weekdays or holidays and work days or any of that. Like you can live in that uh, space, which is again why I thought this was so beautifully uh, a thing business owners can uniquely apply. Yeah, and then he's like when he took that and applied it on the top of like what you answer today will be different in two years, three years, four years, five years. And the concept of consistently asking yourself, what do you really want from your life now? Because like now I'm pre-kids. What I want to do now each day and every day will change fundamentally when I have a child, will change fundamentally when my kids are at primary school or have moved out of home. But also he explores the idea of, well, your body's not going to be able to support as many things. So if you want to climb a mountain, don't wait until you're 70. Like you can do that so, now. So let's unpack that so, a little bit further because you kind of you've a little bit skimmed I, over that, which I, I think totally is a huge, am. huge point. Is Bill expresses in the book that it's like if you spend all your life accumulating wealth, like you can't, and then you get the wealth, woohoo, congratulations! But you're 90 years old. Well, you're not going to be able to climb. What is it, Mount Kilimanjaro? I think is yep. the example in the book. So yep. the idea being that if you wanted to have that type of experience, you would need to do that maybe in your 30s or 40s when you're much more capable is like many of the experiences you may want to create with your wealth later on, you won't be able to do. Totally. So there's a very merited concept in making sure that you spend money on experiences when you can actually enjoy them versus others you can't at different time frames in your life. Yeah, and then I'll talk about how I've applied that uh, a little bit later. Um, but then the, the other concept that I loved was, and it was like this self-awareness, self-auditing point, which is my third one, which is the, the question of like, are you running on autopilot? And I, I love this. And there's, there's so many different ways that people have articulated this. And screw it, I'll bring my last point to now. So we know and love James Ramco. And in his book, uh, Make More, Work Less, he has the concept of uh, effective hourly rate. And it's like, for the hours that you put into your business, how much you getting in return and how can you increase that and that was like this awareness piece like am i earning enough and am i increasing that number you've also got like what is it david goggins like the the accountability mirror and like putting like a sticky note on your mirror so it's like what are you actually trying to achieve and like talk to yourself and i just saw this are you running on autopilot as a great like awareness piece on going are you doing the same thing in and out day in day out every single day, every single week, every single year, or are you actually adapting to what you want to fulfill? And I thought it was a really good awareness question because previously, like I've put the sticky notes on mirrors. I've I've had the label printed off on my laptop of, Grant, what is your effective hourly rate? Is it at $5,000 an hour yet? <laughs> and I thought this was just a really good question because it, it. I would argue there's so many people that are just, even business owners that are just running on autopilot where they just wake up they do their thing in the morning, they punch out the business, then they finish up, spend time with family and just repeat it as opposed to going, is this how I want it to be now in this season of my life? Yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy you brought this one up. I think this is a, a really important one. Bus- business can be very difficult. It really can. And I look at it and go, if you're having a hard time in business, you got a couple of kids, you got a mortgage and maybe a couple of friends – that life can be so busy that you're so busy doing that you never even notice anything else or address the question or have any awareness to like the experiences you would want to have. And I, I've spoken to friends who have said like, oh, five years just went by like that. I didn't even yeah. notice it. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe it's the end of the year, Charlie. <laughs> have you had that one before? I have definitely had periods of my own life where I've been on autopilot. And I recognize the dangers of it. I think it's yep. very easy to get caught in a routine um, and mentality of grind that may have you miss out on parts of life that are really important. Have you had the same? Totally. I would, it was really funny. Um, so I went, I went into the city. It would have been last week. And I was at the tram stop with Hazel. We were going home. 
And I looked at this girl who's sitting on a chair and this random dude's walked up to her, introduced her, introduced himself, and they've just started talking. And essentially they'll end up potentially going on a date and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, that was a five-minute journey of me sitting there waiting for a tram. This woman's potential life has changed where she might have just found her life mate because this random dude decided, maybe split second, maybe not, to go and sit right next to her, introduce himself, and go do that thing. Now, he's not living on autopilot. These little micro challenges and changes that we do changes everything. And so whether it is just saying, hey, let's go and play golf right now, like that is the micro change of just breaking that autopilot, breaking that thing to actually go and improve yourself. And I saw that situation as I was like rereading, like dive with zero and I'm like, that's the example. That is exactly where it says. Awesome. I love that point as well. I think it's a really strong one. Now, I'm going to jump in on a couple here because I want to get to some different sections of discussions. All right. So one of the points I, I really enjoyed in this um, book, uh, again, was just like making sure that it's there's a regret minimization component to our lives. So if you are looking at it, not through the lens of just purely, oh, what's it going to cost and what am I going to get out of it? But maybe asking ourselves the question, will I regret not doing this? That's great. I thought that was a really good point in the book. Um, and then the second one is the danger of habits. Like when things become really ingrained in us and our habits are set up in a, a certain way, it might be self-serving at this season of life, but may actually be the thing that's holding you back in the next. So if you've built a series of help habits right now that maybe have you earning really well and investing really well, they might be the very habits that stop you from living really well or having great experiences. So that habit stuff really came into this for me as well. I'm going to jump to the next point here, though, Grant. I'm going to go into this one. Was there anything you didn't like about the book? Besides it being not specific to business owners? I feel um, like we've already done a good job of applying a lot of these to <laughs> business owners, by the way, but continue. Totally. totally. One of the things that um, oh, I was listening and reading through it and I was so scared the amount of permission that he gives to people to go and load up on debt or make risky decisions because emotionally it might be the good thing. And I'll, I'll share the two stories um, that raise right to my head. So he articulates this on every interview that he does around him and his housemate when he just started working where his housemate traveled to Europe and actually used money from a loan shark to have that experience whilst Bill stayed back in New York and worked on the trading floor. And he's like, in hindsight, that was would have been a better decision for him to go get the money from Loan Shark and go to Europe because of the experiences and the stories that his friend has. And so he's really got that fun. Yeah, he could never go back and be 20 again and have that European experience with his friend. Exactly. I don't know if you've ever looked online or listened to interviews. The story is commonly referred to as like the Loan Shark story. And I'm like, how many people has this just given permission to load up on credit card debt to have that emotion? Or have just validated a consumption use of debt where they've gone and sacrificed something else. Because he also had the other story of a friend of his who went and bought a multi-million dollar vacation home. And he's like, I don't know if I can justify the price of it. He's like, yeah, but what about the dinner parties you're going to have? What about the friend? And I'm like, man, if that guy's a business owner and his business stops making money tomorrow, dude, the sleep at night fact is not there anymore. I got to pause you here. If you went on a holiday to Europe... With money you'd borrowed from a loan shark, would you enjoy it? No, no, no way, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> but but this is the difference. Like maybe for an employee, where cool, I've got a skill set that's high, in high demand, and I will forever not have a job. Sure, the risk is minimal. Like if I'm a government employee, I'm pretty confident I can pay back a ten thousand dollar loan shark debt. But, I I still wouldn't but, enjoy it. But totally. But this is where I'm like, there's a very fine line between like allowing people to validate bad financial decisions because of the emotional benefit they got from it versus the concept of going to Europe and not going to Europe, which I think would have just articulated this, the example so much, but just the same way. All right, well, I'm going to give a counter story here to that one then. I'm jumping in. So, oh, Grant, no, no. I had the opportunity to um, take a gap year after um, my apprenticeship and go travel for a bit, and it would have put me into debt. And in all honesty, I considered doing it on a credit card. And I elected not to do it because I didn't have the money. Now, did I miss out on the experience of doing a gap year European trip? Yes. Can I ever get that back? 
No, it's an experience I've missed. I have to wear that. However, the future experiences I got to have because I didn't do that were significantly better. So I actually got to have some really positive experiences, one of which was buy a house, which has gone on to being very financially rewarding and set up many more positive experiences. So I thought there was a very poor articulation of like compound. Yep. It's like you might take on a debt to have a European holiday. It's like, yeah, I had that opportunity when I'm 20, uh, except uh, when I was 22, I couldn't do this or couldn't do that because of the debt I have to pay back. Yeah. So I thought there was a, a lack of awareness to like future choice within some of these. But I will note the point he was trying to make, right? I do I get that agree. it was an artic- articulated point around, you know, these are the experiences that are time in our life you can't get back. So Agreed. I, I concur then, with the awareness. I would just shit on it a little bit more because his validation was that he didn't get that far in his career whilst his mate was away and they basically came back to the same point. I'm like- Wait, wait, wait. Just, Are we saying that's maybe a bill problem? That, and that's that's my point. I'm like, dude, you just sucked at being an employee on that one. Like, If you can't make gains on someone when they're away for three months, Bill, I think you need to be questioning other things here. Totally. Totally. And I'm just like, but that's where I'm like, if he was a business owner, dude, give me six months and I'll shit all over anybody who's away at enjoying in Europe. And Different stuff. lens. And Bill, you sound like you've del- done very well since. So totally. I'm like, still congratulations and we love the book. But I did think there was a lack of awareness there. I'll give it that. Totally. Um, can I jump into my next one? Do, Do it. We're just riffing on your points today. Let's keep going. <laughs> I'm like, this, finally I've taken over. Um, so he had this he had this great story, which I thought was a fantastic story of a lady who was a, what I understand to be a legal clerk. And so that was her profession. And she was, she was, I'll call her frugal. And this is how the, he tells a story where she was frugal. She didn't have a lavish lifestyle, but she wasn't in poverty either. That when she passed on in her later years, she actually died and in her will had donated $8 million to a charity, like an educational charity. And his point was she would have potentially lived a better life if she had been donating while she was alive because, one, the charity could have done more with that money earlier, but, two, she would have been more fulfilled from seeing the investment while she was alive as opposed to her being dead. And I'm like, that's a very fine line because as a business owner, I'm like, if if I'm in her situation where she's a legal clerk and she's made $8 bucks by the time she croaks, dude, her investment strategy – must have been pretty on point and compounding like a motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I sit there and I'm like, dude, sleep at night factor, huge, having 8 million bucks in a bank account. Her, she's obviously got a unique advantage where she knows how to invest and she's done quite well at investing, I'm assuming on some of these things. So she's like, I think I could compound this thing better than a charity could potentially invest it and in all these things. And I get the time value of money of for charities if they could have done something with it two, three decades ago, sure, I get the argument. But I sit there and I'm like, you just need to factor in that individual circumstance. Like she could, she was sitting there knowing that any family, friends who had a financial problem could hit her up and just be solved. And that's what made her life happy. She was in a job that she thoroughly enjoyed and she was fine with handing it over when she croaked. And I get that. And I get his point, but I'm just like, it's not a one's right and one's wrong. It's just personal circumstances she knew what made her happy and she went with that and that was the best approach for her and it's i'm just like it's not the greatest example to say hey she wasn't as happy as she could have been if she was donating it yeah i I resonated with that story as well i think there was an undervalue of the optionality of wealth in the book itself and again security and sleep at night factor totally because man imagine eight million bucks in a bank account or an investment fund just Putting that head on that pillow, Charlie. Just cool. Seems to be pretty liquid. Uh, no worries at all. I'm going to be sleeping quite well at night. Do you know how many messages I got from people when we did our emergency fund episode? about <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah, how much uh, I choose to keep in like, you know, business buffers and personal buffers for me to sleep at night. Now, again, I have a unique circumstance where uh, my parents went through a very challenging financial circumstance and, like, I bear witness to that. So I value financial security differently than some people. So I look at that and go, for me, I like to have bigger buffers because it helps me sleep at night. I feel good about it. So I looked at that and gone, for me, I'm not going to change that. Like, I actually like having bigger buffers and knowing that I can help loved ones or I can fix my business, or there's always opportunity for me with that wealth to be able to do something with it to get out of a challenging circumstance. 
or for the family to be okay. So yeah. I, I can care on that one to a degree and it's probably a, a balancing scale. But for that person, if $8 million was there, that's my zero, uh, yeah, good on them. Yeah. And then <laughs> the, the next thing that in my mind that came straight up, I'm like, Charlie, do you think I'm better at choosing investments to invest in or choosing charities to donate money to? <laughs> I'm like, I'm better at investments. So hands down. <laughs> I, I, I find this really interesting that Bill Gates, I've got to bring him up on the podcast. That's now. Right. He actually was looking for ways to give away his money and couldn't find it. So he started his own foundation. I look at it and I'm like, Bill seems like a pretty clever guy to me. And I'm like, if he couldn't figure, find the good charities to give money to and decided to start his own, I suspect giving money away is harder than I think. It, and it is. So my brother is on a board of a charity and I have many conversations to him about how difficult it is and the utilisation of the donations that they receive. And I, it's it's tough because it's like you want to be charitable. But there's also this fine line between like you want your money to compound because it's going to do greater good to your family, to charities, to everything. But it's like at what point is there good options or not? In the business owner lens as well, I look at this and go, Maybe investing in your business and employing more families so they can fulfill their dreams is your version of charity. Totally. Like I must admit for myself, having the company we have, I look at it and go, one of the things I take most pride in is knowing that the people we employ and pay, it's like it puts food on their table. Yep. It helps them uh, Kids to school. have the experiences in their life that they want to life, uh, have and, and doing that well is a very rewarding part of business again. Totally. Totally. So that, that were my two stories. All right, I, I can understand those ones. I, I really can. Being I gave this book a 10, I'm not going to say there was anything I didn't like. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you think that's what fair is, enough? It's like <laughs> investing in property is great. I'm just not going to tell you the reasons why not to do it. Like, <laughs> well, I want to get to this part of the episode. I feel like this is the fun part. So yeah. since reading this book, which I feel has actually been impactful on us both, We've already mentioned the idea that we have since looked at certain experiences can only be enjoyed at certain parts of life. We've since looked at, well, we're not going to hoard all our cash and save it to the end and before we give any to potentially children or charities or anything like that. What are you actually going to change in your life because of this, Grant? Like what's this actually uh, made you look at? Yeah, so – We've spoken about two of like the changes that I'm making, which is like the first one is like that question around autopilot. Actually, hang on, hang on. You normally act as the host when we do like these episodes. It's somehow I've acted as the host today and I'm asking you things. It's like, like this is uh and then I just get all over the structure you try and give me just like you do to me. So it's, I've given you an excellent structure. I want I feedback like on this episode. Has this been a good episode? <laughs> anyway, Grant, what are you changing? So the, yeah, so the first one we, we spoke about it, which was uh, that concept of like running on autopilot. And I even tested it out. I gave it to a guy that hadn't read the Dial with Zero book. And I just said, think about this concept. Like, are you running your life on autopilot? And he's like, Grant, that is one of the most profound questions that I've been asked. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> so that idea. So for me, it's more like I'll print it off on a label and I'll stick it on my computer or something like that of just going. So you're going to do it like triggered review process? Just an awareness piece. Like once a day, whether it's on a mirror or whether it's somewhere, maybe on a background or something. For this season, I'm like, I think it's just a good awareness piece just to keep jogging the memory, to talk to Hazel about it, to reevaluate what I'm doing each day. Um, I've done the same with like the David Goggins and James Ramco stuff that I spoke about at the start. And like I printed it off and did these labels and stuff. Um, so that's like one thing that I've applied and changed. Um, the other one was like, and you mentioned it around like the certain times of life. So instead of like one list of things that I want to try and achieve in this lifetime, trying to separate it down into sort of seasons. I will say. Yeah, the whens. Um, but there's this one point which, have you ever read a book where you're looking at a situation and you're like, I I know that something needs to change here. I just don't know how I'm going to adja- adapt the change, but I'm just thinking through it. And I've got one from this book, which has just been perplexed in the back of my mind constantly. And so Bill talks about this idea of like net fulfillment so the equation that you're trying to solve is how do you have a positive net fulfillment and there are three buckets as part of that equation it's like well how do you have better health how do you have better wealth and how do you have as much time 
Yeah. And just right. to chime, chime in quickly, opposed to like trying to kick the bucket with the most out of wells, exactly. which is like a lot of people may be viewing it as. Got you. Yeah. So instead of just going, yeah, screw my health, screw my time, let's just go generate a heap of wealth and optimize for wealth. It's like, how do you optimize for all of them? And coming back from my, like, my project management background, you would have heard about the project management triangle where like you've got uh, time, cost, and quality. And yeah, it's like, what is it? Pick two. Pick two. Yeah. <laughs> like your project can only ever have two of these things. Like, <laughs> so it's like, if you want really good time, really good quality, it's going to cost you a fortune. <laughs> right. Um, and so my mind immediately went to that. And I looked back over uh, quite like, especially the start of my business career. And I'm like, I was very much running on that sort of project management structure of going, well, I can only really have two. And the two that I always defaulted to, and I'm sure you can guess what they are, which was- I, I don't even have to guess. I'm certain I know which two you're <laughs> defaulting to, but just for the health, listeners who haven't worked it out. Health and wealth, right? Like That's all I gave a shit about. Like my time, like screw sleep, screw like I would just not catch up with people just in order for me to generate more wealth as well as improve my health, right? And so through this book, it's like that net fulfillment piece where I'm now going, how do I try and factor in all three at one time? And I'm thinking about it like I've got three beakers that I'm trying to fill and I've got a, a bucket of water and it's got 100 mils in it and I'm trying to allocate that 100 mils to each of the beakers. It's like maybe 40 mils into wealth, 40 mils into health, 20 mils into time in this season. Can I ask a question on this? I'm very, very curious. I want to throw one more layer in because I, I love the thinking that's going into this concept, but the factor that I struggle to understand how this applies is doesn't it make sense to get the money thing out of the way early because that compounds and then you don't have to work on the wealth? And Yeah, and so this, this is where my mind is trying to work through it because I'm like similar to how there are certain points in time for you to have specific experiences – like at university, right? That's the only time you're going to go out at university events and travel to Europe as a backpacker and do all these things, right, uh, that you would do. I'm like, does the concept of where you allocate that 100% or that 100 mil change based on the seasonality that you're in within life, right? So as a uni student, you should allocate more to time so you can have do the things. Maybe, maybe but isn't it like help. every dollar you invested – 20 is worth like 70 or something like that when you're uh, 65 years old. Exactly. Because then I'll articulate it on the other side. If I was 70 or 80, then I'm going to be allocating bugger all to wealth creation because I would have done it all previously, right? Which means I got like, what, 35 in time, 35 in health and like 10 in wealth, which is just like a maintenance. And so this is why for me, I'm just thinking about, well, maybe if I built the list of things I want to do per season, which might be five-year blocks. I also think about what priority do I need to have in that season to set myself up for the rest? Like maybe now I should focus more on wealth and health to prepare me to have more time later on. But then in the next five-year block or three-year block or decade block, I spend more on health and time and then a little bit less on wealth because I've already done the thing. And so that's where my mind was starting to think through. I've gone, well, it's actually a really interesting lens of applying that to the seasonality because it really changes across everything because then what you want to do, how you approach it changes. So Completely. I love this uh, <laughs> ideation, by the way. Yeah, I'm so even going to give my opinion because, you know, that's what it. people come with. Do it. <laughs> I believe in your 20s it should be a very, very, very focused approach to a little bit of health and wealth. I really do because I feel that if you get something compounding for you earlier in life, the amount of time it can open up for you in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s has a greater net return. Where if you reach 30, and I hope this is uh, not hitting anyone who's listening too hard, you at 30 and you've got no assets, right? And you've, you maybe you've had a, all these great experiences, but you've got nothing behind you and you haven't built a business and you haven't got skills, the barrier for you to then accumulating wealth to be able to enjoy significant amounts of time is working against you so hard. So your analogy of like portions or percentages, I think yep. is, is really, really critical here. But the and skew towards compounding assets earlier in life is un undeniably powerful. Completely. Because then you, you think about it, like in your 30s, you'll probably have a family or start a family in your 30s because that's just how the world has changed from 20s to 30s now. 
And it's like, well, if you went and did your wealth creation in your 20s and then you can do the Europe trip, you can do the family thing, you can do all those things in your 30s. And then in your 40s, obviously, you got bugger all wealth creation because you've done all the compounding and it's starting to kick in, which means now you got health, you got time. And so those are the things of, that I'm starting to think through of like, what should they have been in a time that has passed, which I focus quite heavily on business and wealth anyway, so I'm not too worried about it. But then I'm like, what should it be for me now considering that? But then also like, what could it be and should it be into the future? Yeah. Like, for people who want to be parents, the kid stage? It's time. Like you have totally. to have the, the time. time thing and the experience thing comes into it. You may or may not have necessarily the ability to focus on wealth building or career at that point. Exactly. It's a so deep topic, was, Grant. That's a very deep topic. Yeah. Hence why I'm like, I'm like, nothing's super changed, but like it's this layer of complexity that I'm just like, there could be this sweet spot of articulating the seasonality with the mixture of how you're doing that net fulfillment calculation. So Bianca and I, leaning into your point here, have actually decided we've uh, made a spreadsheet and we've divided it into the decades of our lives. So our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, our 70s, our 80s, and then what we're actually actively doing now is putting in the experiences we want to enjoy in each stage from here, mixed in with the idea of like capability. Can so, I ask a question? Go for it. Uh, what throw throw out like one of them that like would shock me? Like, is there something that's sitting in like your fifties or sixties that I'm like, get out? <laughs> I'm like, that's a killer idea. I'll, gi- I'll give you some off the list. All right, do it. Do it. All right, so the one that came up for me very very like quickly. And I'm not even going to ex- uh, pretend this makes rational sense. <laughs> is like I want to do a caravan trip around Australia. Yeah, like it's it's in me. I want to do the big lap. Yeah, don't know where it came from, but at some point I want to have a Land Cruiser and do that lap and just fully enjoy the experience of Australia. I can appreciate that. Yeah, for, and I, you know, I get for other people that might be Europe, but for yeah. whatever reason, I'm on that. Uh, the second one was there's uh, golf experiences I want to have. You speak in my language. <laughs> yeah, well, Bianca brought this up. She's like, what, you're going to make it to retirement? It's like, how good do you think you can get at golf in your 60s? And don't get me wrong, probably reasonably good in your 60s these days. And I'm hoping for medical advancements, fake knees, exoskeletons. I was going to say stem cells. All of it. Let's do it. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's probably much more capable in my 30s to be able to like, you know, crush a ball off the yeah. tee with a driver. So I and I put that in there. I want to. Uh, I'll give you some more here, just off Charlie's uh, Dude, list. This is great. Building my dream home. So wow. many people want to uh, buy it. You know, good luck to you. I'll just say that's amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing shots. Anyone could buy a dream house. <laughs> Commoners though. <laughs> I want to build one. I want to yeah. literally design and build the dream home. I knew a guy that did that, and. <laughs> He went to the architect. This guy made a lot of money in insurance. And he's like, I want the front of my house to be the same as the entrance to Singapore Airport. I'm, I'm fine with that. He built it. Like and people just walk into this house like, what the hell is this? And it's literally like this this hallway just like the Singapore Airport. Do you know the <laughs> thing that would concern me though? Let's say what? I do it and then you move in. It's like, shit, I forgot that. I did. <laughs> Why did we put a PowerPoint here? <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, totally. Then, then you have to build a second one. Put that on the bucket list. Yeah. So, like, I look at that and even recognize some of the irrationality that comes into this. Like, these things don't make logical sense compared to, like, there's some fantastic homes out there to buy. Totally. But it's like, when is appropriate to do that? Where, like, I'm looking at that and going, that might even be a 50s things because the means, so wealth to do it, time to do it. Like, it doesn't make sense to do that while my ambitions are more focused on business stuff. Totally. So um, take my mum to uh, France. It's like one of those experiences I want to have. And this one's interesting, right, because it's not my capability I'm putting on the line here. It's mum's. Like she's getting older. I'm like how – like she won't enjoy France in the same way as an example or Paris when she's in her 90s. Yeah. So the limiter is not just on me but the people in our lives if there's experience we want to have them with or have totally. with, I should say there. Totally. Dude. I love this. It was, it's funny. <laughs> As I was like thinking through like the seasonality of life, the first thing that my brain went to is like, well, screw you, Bill. I'm just going to make sure that my health is perfect until I'm 100 and like <laughs> leading into like the Peter Atias and like, how can I just make every joint perfect, Charlie? How can I just make sure I'm all strong so that I can still play basketball and do everything at 80 and bungee jump and <laughs> all these opportunities? Do you know what came up for me as well in this exercise? 
but there's never a season I don't want to do business. <sighs> or golf. Maybe golf. Golf could be a very frustrating game. Right? It's like <laughs> there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to play golf. Um, but the, what was really interesting to me when I went through this kind of like exercise of thought, I don't see a season of my life where there isn't business. It's actually more around what business. You know, you know what's funny with this? I always look at like the Charlie Mungers, the Warren Buffetts, like all these guys who are above like nine. Respect. You, the- you 99 and rocking up to the board meeting. But- Respect. But and I look at like Warren Buffett's health is sh- shocking. Like goes to McDonald's, drinks Coke all the time, and it, all the things that they How say. Can that you, wait, wait, wait! How can you say that he's outlived life expectancy? No, but, the, but this is my thing. Is I'm like, you have someone like that that just shits all over every good practice on health, longevity, basics, and he's just thriving at 99, going to board meetings and everything like that. And you just go and like Charlie Munger, who's super old. Um, and you're just like, maybe the reason, maybe the secret is just enjoying what the hell you do. <laughs> like, maybe it is the point where people just get so late in life that they just can't do anything. Everything's deteriorated. And I was like, oh, I just got no reason to live. Where like Warren and Charlie are waking up. You can just imagine the WhatsApp to each other. Hey, mofo, like, what are you doing today? What you, you're working on your abs or something? Like, you could just imagine. The messages that they would have to each other. And you it know would, what? I love the idea on. that they're like shit posting each other Don't, day to day you and like trading crypto as a joke or something. It would be you hilarious. Like, you can't tell me they're not. Like, if you, they've got a good sense of humor, they're in their 90s and they were totally shit talking to each other behind closed doors. And that is like the secret to longevity. I can see that. That's something to get up for. Like in my, like I can tell you right now, in '99, I could be really tired and exhausted, but I would be motivated and happy to get out of bed to absolutely dislike rev you up. I totally would be. Uh, I'm going to finish on this point because we've run low. I was in my 20s and I wrote a contract to my grandma that said that if she hits 100, we have to go out and get absolutely plastered. Because I'm like, that would be the greatest thing ever is just get all wasted with your grandma when she hits 100. I'm seeing a potential. You know how you spoke earlier about like risk experiences, Grant, about loan sharks going wrong? I'm, I'm seeing grandma going wrong here. <laughs> but totally, I'm just like, I just G'd up to live. But but that's where I'm at. And so I, I like the fact because I'm very similar. I, I'll be doing deals and business and I'll be selling people. And I'll be doing everything until I kick the bucket, dude. I, I love it. Love everything I do. All right. Should we round this one up? I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. All right, now nah, we'll wrap it up. Wrap it up. Just want to say thank you very much to everybody for listening. And you know what? We do have a newsletter. And head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details. But what I really want to challenge you is, is reply back to one of those newsletters and let us know if uh, if you have read the book and what you've taken away from it. I'm curious. Or if you like or dislike anything that we've mentioned because we actually enjoy hearing from you. Just want to say thank you very much again for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Business and Investing.